All right, we are now coming to the Bible reading, and we're reading from Galatians 6, verses 11 to 18. If you have the Blue Bible, it could be on page 1172. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Corolla. Great to see you here today. Uh, We are at the last part of Galatians. I'm going to kick around in here for a few Uh, moments this morning. Just on your outline, uh, cross out, if you're following along, cross out the first heading. Hope you can hear. I don't know what I said when I wrote that months ago. Um, Have no idea. All week I've been thinking, what does that mean? So if anyone has an idea after the sermon what I mean by that, then tell me because I don't know. Secondly, um, also there's a typo. Um, Verse 12 to 14 should just be verse 12 to 13. So second part, verse 12 to 14. We're just going to do 12 and 13 in that section. Not a, a big deal, but just so you can follow along. So, um, yeah. You know, it's a curious thing that the hashtag humbled is often used when people are boasting about something online. It's called the humble brag. Disguised in humility is really this, this proud self uh, gloat, vainglorious gloat. Things like, why do I always get asked to work the most important jobs. Or, I've got nothing to wear after losing all that weight. Or, I'm so exhausted from my two-week holiday in Europe, I just need another break. Um, it comes out all the time, does it not? Those backwards comments. And social, sociolog- sociologists have done studies on that. Why do you do that? And the, the, the hope is to be more sincere. But what people perceive is actually you're more insecure than what you think. So it doesn't actually work. I know, if, if I'm honest, as many times my internal motivation when I've said something online or even to, to a person has not been um, uh, anything more than my own desire for them to like me, to celebrate my awesomeness. To, to comment about how good I am. Many a times I've gone online just to make sure that someone has liked my post and, and done that, and I'm sure you've done it too. One secular commentator observes and said, how different would people act if they couldn't show off on social media? Would you still do it? Interesting thought. What if no one saw your schnitzel or your new nails? Would you still take a photo? There was a time when we did, but we still brag about it. We wouldn't take a photo, we wouldn't publish it online for our fr- we, but we would still celebrate that stuff. We would still boast because boasting is is not just new. We have new ways of boasting. But consider this: that maybe you're not into hashtags and and, and taking photos of schnitzels, but boasting has an economic tinge to it. 
And all of us, all of us would know, if you've written a resume, there's this little bit of boasting happens, does it not? You want to portray yourself as better, or you go to a job interview and you embellish just a little bit. Or when you meet someone new, or when you go on a date with them for the first time, or you have to give a report to your boss about the particular project you're working on, you want people to, to celebrate you, to think highly of us, and, and boasting is one way that we do that. Like I said, boasting isn't new. In fact, the word boast comes from an old English, Middle English word called biot. And what would happen on the eve of battle? The generals, the commanders would boast to their army. They'd get in front of them and they'd say, let's excite you to victory and how awesome you are and how wonderful you are. It's the, the Braveheart kind of famous blue horse, blue, blue face riding the horse scene. He's boasting. Why? To get the army to think they're amazing, to give them courage to then go forth and conquer the enemy. We all boast. We come from a long, long line of boasters. And this idea of boasting, this is where Paul ends his letter to Galatians. And what we're going to see today is not that boasting is wrong. It's simply about what we're going to boast in and why we're going to boast in it. Here's one of the last statements Paul makes. And we're going to wrestle with this this morning. He says, in verse 14 of chapter 6, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So I guess the question is, how are you boasting today? Can you honestly say, as the theme for Galatians has been, it's all about Jesus? Maybe you can't say that. Maybe you're here and, and you're not sure that Jesus is someone you'll be ready to boast in yet. You're exploring Jesus and, and well, it's great you're here, and I hope today that as we walk through these few verses, you would hear and see with more clarity why the value of the gospel, the value and treasure of Jesus is worth boasting about with your life. So let's start at verse 11. Here's what Paul says in verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, there's, there's lots of debate as to what Paul means by this. Do we take the word see to mean physically looking at the page? Like see, because it was a letter see, or um, do we, does it kind of have a more metaphorical sense in look at my whole letter and understand its intent? And, and these large letters, is it that Paul's writing in really big Greek alphabet letters um, as he's doing this, or is it just the length of his letter? Well, it's the Galatians and the NIV is about 3,244 words, they say, and um, Word says that when you put it in and do the word count. And so it's about two or three blog posts worth of content today, if we look at it standard. Um, it's not long. It's not a big letter. So, so given how Paul starts the letter to Galatians, his shock, hi everyone, what are you doing? Uh, it, it's right to see this verse as all about the seriousness of the issues that he's addressed. J.B. Phillips translated it and says, Now note how heavily I've pressed upon the pen in writing this. It's kind of like the ancient equivalent of the bold font. See, it's a command, it's an imperative. 
Notice, take direction, reconsider all this teaching that's happening. This, this people coming into your church, telling you to look at a different gospel, follow another Jesus. Consider that, see that in light of what I have just said, because Paul has the heart of a pastor and a parent. And he genuinely loves these people. And when he hears that these other people are trying to push them off the path of the gospel, it pains him. It shocks him to, to hear that your children, if you're a parent of older children, are walking away from Jesus. Does not that deeply upset you? Doesn't that pain you to hear that your, your children are not following Jesus as they once were or as they should be? And this is the same tone Paul takes with Galatians. And so this handwritten letter comes to you, not just with ink, but with love and affection, desire that Paul has to see them go on in the gospel unhindered. And so what we have is this great authentication of Paul's writing, backed by a team of friends, as Galatians 1, 1 says. Even a professional scribe composing this letter sent to them. See what large letters, see the intent of what I'm saying, the seriousness. And then we ask, well, what, what, what are you going to say at the end of your letter? What's, what's on your heart, Paul? Well, verse 12 and 13. It's about what impresses you and what you're going to boast in and what truly matters. Notice what he says. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Jesus. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised. They may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. And so if Paul is impressing his, his letters and words to them, then surely that's in contrast to others that are imposing on them circumcision. So in 12 to 13, those speaking of false Jesus do so for three reasons. Verse 12, to impress others. Verse 12 again is to avoid persecution. Verse 13 is to boast. Now that's a curious thing. How does one boast in people being circumcised? Why, and more importantly, you probably question, you have thought as I is, how do you tell? So consider that the Roman province of Galatia, public nudity for guys was acceptable. Not, not, all, just not all the time, but typically. In certain arenas, it was actually permissible. But still, the Romans thought that circumcision was, was repugnant and it was barbaric, and they would write plays mocking those that were. They would, you would be the butt of insults and jokes if you were circumcised, you see? So, so you're a Jew, and you want to use one of the public bathhouses. There's a problem there. Or, or you get good at sport. You want to compete in athletics in a running event. Well, they would compete naked if you're a guy. And because the, the Greco-Roman culture was so dominant, you would face humiliation if you were circumcised in all those situations. And then if you're, if you're a Jew, you think, I'll, I'll try to reverse that somehow. And if you tried to that, you would then be ostracized from the Jewish community. Can you see the dilemma here? And so what this meant was the Jewish voices in the day speaking into the dominant culture, they were really strong on this issue. One, one of the voices would say, it doesn't matter, circumcision isn't really a big deal, let's not make more of it than what it is, they try to downplay its importance. On the other hand, others elevated it even more, knowing that it put you at odds with the Romans. And it became a badge of nonconformity. It was even elevated to the point that some said that if you're circumcised, it removes you from the evil sphere that we live in, 
And we get into God's presence. And so to overcome evil in this life, to be really in the realm of God's people, in God's family, to follow the teaching of Jesus, what you really need to do is make a clean break with the world, and it means you need to be circumcised. And so they push this view to be to not be persecuted by the Jews, because if you follow that, then you're under the Torah law, and they won't persecute you for Jesus. And so this pressure comes at you in Galatia, right? And so Paul comes in to this mix, and he speaks the narrative of the gospel into both these ideas, saying that, that actually the clean break with the world you need is actually the way of Jesus, with his body breaking on the cross, who gives his spirit to us so that we can now walk in a new life. And what matters is being made new, not having new marks on your body, you see? And the poor Galatians, they're simply spiritual collateral damage to these insecure religious people trying to avoid persecution, to boast in themselves. It's hard. So, so as we get to the end of the letter, I'm, I think I'm more sympathetic with the Galatians than I was at the start of the letter. And so as Paul has said to them, so I tell us today, see what he has written, hear the words of Galatians echoing through history. May you exchange this boasting and outward appearance and then the false sense of safety in your own little system of living for a single all-encompassing goal and passion to boast in the cross of Jesus. And that is what Paul moves on to now. Let's get our boast right. You see, 14 and 15, one of these great moments when the, the gospel reinterprets words and attitudes and fills them with a new meaning. So Paul says, he personalizes the problem. He says, you know what you want to boast? Sure, I boast too. Did you know that? Others are boasting about circumcision. But may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So normally this is a mark of human pride, achievement, kingdom building. Boasting is now given the proper object to celebrate in. We now boast in the work and achievement of Jesus, not our own works. We seek to promote his kingdom, not my own. We don't boast in men or other people. We boast in the God-man, Jesus Christ. In fact, that's always Paul's great boast, is it not? In his letters, it's the power of the gospel. He will boast in the way the world has been crucified to him and he to the world. But you know... We don't feel the force of that statement very well today. To say boast in the cross, that would have, that would have caused the, the Galatian hearers to kind of step back a bit. Imagine public assembly, hey, we've got a letter from Paul, read it, and you're going along, you're thinking through, and then he says, I'm going to boast in the cross. And you would, you would be shocked at that point. Because it would be like saying in, in 15th century England, boast in being hung, drawn, and quartered. Or in, in France in the 17th century, boast in the guillotine. Or in Melbourne in the 18th century, celebrate the noose of the Melbourne jail. Or maybe today, boast in the lethal injection. You see, it's wonderfully fitting, though, that Paul says that here. So how do you react when you hear it? Well, if you're there, crucifixion was known. It existed long before Jesus was crucified. It was alive and kicking in the Persian Empire. The Romans perfected it. 
In 73 BC, when the revolt of Spartacus happened, it says that 6,000 slaves were crucified one after the other in a line on the highway as a sign to not mess with Rome. And so crucifixion was a mark of those who resisted the authorities. It was cruel. It was unspeakably harsh. It was a slow, agonizing way to die. We get our word excruciating from this, literally meaning from the cross. There's evidence too that when a judge would condemn someone to be crucified, he would just say, hang him on the unlucky tree as a euphemism for being crucified. It makes you think in Matthew 27, when the crowd shout, crucify him, crucify him, how bloodthirsty and violent they were, when a Roman judge would often not even say the word crucify. And then we have this great drawing from uh, the early Roman emperor scratched on a, on a, on a, uh, a wall that shows the body of a, of a man with a, with a donkey head nailed to a cross and a man worshipping him. And the inscription at the bottom says, Alexamonus worships God. They're mocking him for worshipping a crucified God. And so what I'm getting at is you don't boast in crucifixion. You don't boast in that. Celebrate a means of death is what Paul is getting at. But you see, the cross isn't just death. The cross is the central act of God in all human history. It is life itself. New life, in fact, as we'll get to in a moment. But consider the cross also means the tomb. And the tomb became empty. And it was this empty tomb of the crucified and risen Jesus that suddenly injected misguided, fearful men like Paul and Peter with such courage and dedication that they were going to meet violent deaths of their own in the name of the God who was crucified on their behalf, counting it a joy to now suffer for the sake of the gospel to advance the kingdom of God. Why? Because we look at the cross through the lens of the resurrection. And what at first appears to be foolishness really is the wisdom of God. What looks like weakness is really the power of God conquering conquering human rebellion and evil. And so the cross is full of victory and power and purpose and wisdom and glory and love and circumcision. can't do any of that. And that's what Paul is going to boast in. What about you? What are you impressed with? Outward appearance or the appearance of the cross? In fact, this has been Paul's message for most of the Galatians. In in 3.13, the cross is where Jesus became the curse for our sin on the cross. In chapter 2, 19 and 20, he says the cross is the place where we die and find new life in Christ. And it's here that the cross is now the boast of our life the heartbeat of our existence, where a new sphere of living is ushered in. And then then Paul says, it's not only my boast, but the cross is where the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, the cross gives him such a new paradigm view, a shift for seeing and living and viewing everything in this life that the world is dead to him. As one scholar says, the world's basic values and assumptions have been put on notice as passing away through the cross of Jesus. It's not that Paul is becoming monastic and trying to separate himself from the world. He's saying, I'm living in this space, living here in this life, with a totally new lens of viewing life. 
And that's why he says what really counts is the new creation. And he'd expect him in, in verse 15 to say, after all this talk about circumcision, don't do it. But he doesn't say that. He just says it doesn't matter because that's not the issue. The issue is being a new creation. And I think one of the later on, Paul will write in Second Corinthians chapter five, one of the key verses on new, being a new creation. He says, Corinthians five, verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who's reconciled to us himself through Christ. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, for in him we might become the righteousness of God. It has nothing to do with what you do. It has nothing to do with circumcision. It has nothing to do with following the law of Moses. The wounds that heal and make new are Jesus' wounds. The power to recreate life is found in the cross. And so once again, we hear Paul saying, as we've heard most weeks in Corinthians, uh, in Galatians, you have all you need in Christ. Why are you turning away? And then in verse 16, he says, he says and it's not there in the NIV, but the, the idea is it's linking together. And he says, Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. And this goes on to the new creation, flows on from the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. And so just like at the start of our letter to the Galatians, when Paul gives a negative, if they turn to a different gospel, Paul says the result of continually following Jesus, following the Spirit, continuing in the gospel, is mercy and peace. And this, this is exactly the DNA of God's people for all time, Way back to Abraham, the true Israel of God. Now, that's a tricky passage. This is the only time we find Paul ever mentioned that particular phrase, the Israel of God. What does he mean by that? We'll take the whole letter of Galatians, and what we see is that the church, the people of God, have always existed in the very same way for the whole of time. It's always been on the basis of faith, in God, in, in Christ, not on your ethnicity or law-keeping. In fact, in God choosing Israel, electing them, starting with Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations, it was actually never at the exclusion of others. It was to welcome others in, to show them the true one and only God. So the church is and always has been a community made up of ethnic Jews and Gentiles who come in by faith. And then in verse 17, Paul says, finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. It's interesting, this verse in 17, history has a, arguing all sorts of funny things, like Paul had a cross tattoo on his body, that was the mark. Or he was circumcised too, so that's the mark he's talking about. But that will not do. The most likely reference is the scars that he got for preaching the gospel, the disfigurements, the physical marks decorating his body from the beatings and the stoning and the whipping and the shipwreck that went from preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. What's wonderful is we have the letters of Paul written to different churches and regions. And if you follow the story of Paul in Acts, Acts you see 
what happened just before he wrote most of those letters and what happened afterwards. So when he gets, gets to Philippians, he arrives traveling 1,500 kilometers from Thessalonica. And he's beaten up terribly. Whipped 39 times on his back. I mean, your back would be jelly. And then he just gets up and walks. And it would be hard to sleep. You couldn't sleep on your back for days or months at times, perhaps. And then he preaches Jesus again. And then someone says, we don't like this. Paul said, and they beat him up again and open up old wounds again and again and again. And then he goes on to preach the gospel again and again and again. And sometimes the believers kind of catch on to this and send him off before it gets too intense. But more often than not, he cops it physically. And so these these people in Galatia that are boasting about having a mark on your body, Paul says, no, actually, that's not the mark that counts. It's Jesus' wounds that count. And if you're going to be having a mark on your body for the gospel, let it be for preaching the gospel. After all, as he said, they don't follow the law. If anyone knew what it would be to follow God without faith in Jesus, Paul does. So he finishes the letter. And how do you feel? Now, we've done this over six or seven weeks, so we've kind of taken bit by bit. You read the whole letter and sit there. How would you feel being the Galatians in that church after the, the guys finish reading the letter and he just says, you know, Paul's got the marks on his body. Let no one cause me trouble. Amen. There'd be a silence. And then someone gets up maybe and says, well, guys, are we more concerned with making good showing or are we more concerned with boasting in the cross of Jesus? Can we say it's all about Jesus? And you know, the good news is that for those of us who always boast in the wrong things, which we, we do, God is teaching us every day how to boast in him. And it all starts by professing faith that Jesus is Lord because the Christian life is one great big boast that Jesus is Lord and I am not. That's the foundation. You've been redeemed to boast in the right stuff. So Jeremiah says this in chapter 9. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let he who boasts in this, let he who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. And in that, there's a sense that we're all boasting. The question is, as we said, not what are you, not are you boasting, but what are you boasting in? So make it the cross. Make it the place where your identity and new creation has been formed for you. And what that means is this. You can now boast happy. When the pressure's off to boast for approval, when the pressure's off to share things so people can like you, There is good news because there is no other way to boast as a Christian. It's a happy act of the soul. Glad in Jesus, glad in the cross, glad in the character of God. It's related to rejoicing, but it defines it. It means I rejoice in the cross. I don't rejoice in myself. You can boast happily. And some of you boast, but you're not happy. It also means you boast the right way up. Someone has said we have glory built into our blood. 
After all, the Bible is clear that we are glorious creatures. We're made in the image of God like nothing else was. We're more valuable than the birds and we reflect God's character. And part of that means we long to hear God in whose image we were made in. We long to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. We long to hear him say, well done. But in turning away from him, as we all have done, we boast in the other things and we feel our need to be loved and accepted in stuff that's not God. But in being redeemed, we can now boast in the right one. Because we are already loved, because we are already accepted and full of him, you don't need anyone else's approval. Because you have God's. Not because you can do anything, because Jesus did it. Not because you're so lovely, but because Jesus makes you lovely. You can boast the right way up. And that means you boast in different things. We're going to boast in unboastable things as Christians. We're going to look very strange in this world. We're going to boast in our weaknesses, 2 Corinthians twelve nine, because the, through weakness, the power of God rests upon you. We're going to boast in the advance of the gospel going out to unreached people as more people are brought back into God's family, Romans 15, 17, and 19. And it means we're going to celebrate the character of God in all his glory, from his love and his mercy to his judgment and to his sovereignty. We will boast in the one who has saved us. And that means it's a public boast. In our workplaces, in our homes, among friends, we will elevate the worth and the treasure of Jesus in what we say. We will use the hashtag humbled and blessed in a different way so that it actually shows Jesus. You know, we all despise the person who who demands continuous assurance in their own ability. So make your life about the one who has died and has risen again. But if, as Paul says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, that means I'm also going to boast privately. In all the 10,000 moments that we live in, the mundane of my life, I'm going to show that Jesus is my ambition. Jesus is my boast. Because my life is aimed at a different direction now. And that comes out when I'm alone. When no one's around. When I'm online by myself. when, When no one's watching me. I will boast in the value of Jesus to make him look as he is in a world that desperately needs to see the true God. From the smallest things like eating and drinking and what I watch and what I consume and what I spend my money on, I will glorify and boast in God and magnify him even when it's just me. And so as we come to the end of Galatians, Will you boast in the cross? Will we walk out of here today and say, Monday morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show the world that my life is orbiting around a different thing. And it's offensive to talk about the cross. But I'm gonna boast in it all the same. Because I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Can you say that? I want to say that, and I hope you do too. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you have redeemed us the right way up to celebrate and give worth and glory to the things that truly matter in this life. So we can see them as as they are, that, that the weight of things 
in this life we place and look for value and identity and meaning and can't hold up what we've been made for. But we find it in you, Jesus. And Father, we want to boast in the cross. We want to be a community of people that, that celebrate you and your worth and your value and your kindness in rescuing us from our sin and the character of God. So Father, may that be on our lips. May the heartbeat of our life be a holy ambition to boast in the cross. Help us do that, Lord, in all the mundane moments of our life, in all the moments where with our friends and family and workplaces that don't know you. May our boast be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us the grace and mercy and courage to do that, I pray. In your name, amen.